So how on God's gray earth did this and this and even this become this. Detours and Outliers, the podcast where we take a closer look at that one album in an artist's discography that sticks out like a sore thumb. It may be their best album, it may be their worst album, but either way, it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Uh, just a heads up, we're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, so, you know, follow us socially from a distance this week on the panel we have logan renard matthew marr my name is scott livingston and since this is our 50th episode we have a uh, special guest mike monroe who we're still in debt to for having made listen to uh, metal machine music say hello to everyone hello everybody okay so this week we're going to be listening to uh voivod's angel rat so uh first question um why didn't they record this with Richard Hell? <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I worked on that joke all week. <laughs> That's all I've got. This is a band I know, much like X a couple of weeks ago, I know nothing about, so I only listened to Angel Rat and then listened to the uh, rest of their discography afterwards. So I'm I'm right behind you, Scott. Um, my, uh, um, I've always heard great things about Voivod. I have one of their albums, Nothing Face. I think I bought it when it came out. I vaguely remember reading about them in Guitar Player magazine, and it said they did a cover of Astronomy Domine, my favorite Pink Floyd song. So I was like, I have to hear this. As it turned out, I liked the album a lot. I, I uh, or the CD, I guess it was. I, you know, I played it. Um, oh, probably. You know, I don't know how many times. Um, enough that I knew all the songs. So probably, you know, dozens of times. Right. So. Uh, um, I thought it was fantastic, but I, for whatever reason, never bought another album. Yeah, they're they're awesome. That's it. That's I can't think of too many metal covers that are not covers of metal songs. That's a that's a short list. And Diamonds and Rust by uh, Judas Priest. <laughs> this one's pretty close to the top of that list. It's an excellent cover and a really good album. A lot of people would say their best and this was the one that came out after it yeah yeah i was just i just look was looking at that and realized it's like oh maybe that's why this is so regarded as i mean it's, it's not a bad album we'll, we'll get into it and it's 
an enjoyable listen. But when when it when you do something different right after what's regarded as like your your best album, a lot of people don't like that. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, and I mean, my familiarity with this band was their early stuff, all the thrash stuff. Mm. So this was the band. This was the album. I was really excited to be invited to this because. <laughs> exactly like Logan said, I was one of those people. Like when they did this record, I was like, what? Why? And then I never really <laughs> gave it a chance, you know, like. Yeah. Well, they timed it pretty terribly with the, uh, uh, I don't know, not current, but I don't know, past couple of years, hipstery, uh, psych rock revival. Yeah, for sure. Like, like I feel like this would have just destroyed, you know, people would be listening to Ty Siegel and, and Angel Rat had it come out, you know, just to. A dozen years later yeah i did i didn't know that that they were a they were a thrash band and then they became more um uh, more progressive minded i guess with uh um progressive sounding with nothing face and maybe the album before it i'm not sure yeah um but uh uh but you know but that's right up my wheelhouse i love that kind of progressive stuff so i thought you know i thought that that album was fantastic. I would like at some point we could do it an hour later, but as we talk about this, I'm I'm personally confused by the psychedelic moniker for this album. I yeah. guess I might not know what that word means. I have I have some thoughts. I like I think they I think they were going for um Hawkwind. I think that was probably yeah. like the biggest kind of thing that they were a particular period of Hawkwind kind of psych rock, which Hawkwind's a fantastic band. They've had a, a, a big, long career. I think you can still go see them. They have some stuff that's so psychedelic, it sounds like fucking Sun Ra or something like that. And then they have stuff that just sounds like sloppy biker rock. And so depending on which side, <laughs> you you know, depending on what tickles your fancy, I, I think that's maybe how we got to Angel Rat, at least partially well it needs more organ then yeah or something else <laughs> anything else yeah i was gonna say was this the only album they did with um because i didn't they use they used somebody who had helped co-produce rush yeah terry brown terry brown yeah yeah was this the only album they did with that person yes okay. as far as i could tell that he was the only one yeah terry terry brown uh he's definitely you know his biggest claim as a producer engineer is is uh with rush you know he did a lot of those early albums all the way up to signals i think and and i always uh i liked his i like his production style i like his production style on, on this album even i like i like that you can hear all of the instruments and that there's a place for everything right and and uh that's that's just something you know that appeals to me and it certainly makes a lot of sense with rush because you have you know th those three guys playing those parts that are like puzzle pieces that kind of fit together right right but you know but um if you're looking for a wash of sound he's probably not the guy well you know that's interesting that you mentioned that because i think voivod compared to a lot of other metal bands it, like rush because the instrumentation is is more sparse than it could be and they keep the production really dry and and clear I think the the timbral aspects of the instruments are carrying a lot more weight than they would in your average rock band. In that, you know, like the bass sound is this very growly defined thing that's very dynamic. The guitar is very layered. Piggy used to use like a lot of digital delay with a volume pedal and so we would kind of fade in things, you know, like pre-fade before the delay pedal so you get this trailing off kind of thing. That's like some shit that like, you know, young kids are 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 psyched that the, the Radiohead guide, you know, like this is some pretty cool progressive Robert Frippy kind of guitar texture, but it's it's a very he's got his tone super dialed into the specific thing and then 
you know, their drummer and their singer are also just like incredibly singular and I don't know, in the way that like like Les Claypool or somebody like that would be. They have a very unique style and I think it's only strengthened by the fact that you can hear all the nuance. If it was just raging all the time, it would be miss it would be missing a lot. So I think they do a good job of like headed into like fuzzed out rock and roll territory without doing away with that. I I would second Matt's question about how the uh, progressive or psychedelic tag got added onto this because, like I said, I had not listened to any of them. Listened to this album, sort of digested it. Thought, okay, yeah, it keeps saying it's progressive and psychedelic, but just <laughs> sounds like metal to me. I mean, I'll be honest. Well, I played Voivod and then I played the rest of them and. I couldn't tell the difference. This sounded, they all sounded the same to me. I'm, you know, I can't tell the difference between thrash metal and speed metal and death metal and black metal and hair metal. And this is all lost on me. So you're going to have to like hold my hand and guide me through this. They're very different, Scott. Frankly, I, I, yeah. That could be a whole episode right on its own. <laughs> like, but I mean, definitely compared to some of their other stuff, I can hear how the prog tag specifically got added to this. Yeah. Like I um <laughs> and what's funny to me is they're as dry as the the production is, exactly like Logan said, there's still just enough, like there's like a little bit of chorus on some of the guitar mm-hmm. parts and things like that, where they're like parts that almost do sound like hair metal until the song gets going. Like I think, it's, and then it gets weird. Yeah, and I think it's actually like the very first track that, like, to me, the riff sounds like it, it sounds like they were in a studio next to Van Halen, and Van Halen played that and decided not to use it, and they were like, <laughs> you know, like, but, yeah. There's a lot of that all over this record, but the record, I, yeah, I don't know if I hear the psych stuff. I'm not as familiar with psych rock though, um, as any of you might be. That's not something I've explored a lot, but the prog tag I get, especially. Especially like um, like you said before about how everything can be heard. That's a very prog characteristic as far as like mixing and production. Yeah, yeah and, and I get like uh, the other name uh, moniker this album's got is is alternative. Uh, I think that had to have been added after the fact, perhaps, because I don't think alternative was really a category when this came out. Maybe it was a little bit. I mean, because really, grunge was just getting going, right? Yeah, this was 91. So, yeah, hair metal, <laughs> metal was in a very precarious spot at this point. And, yeah. yeah, but it, but it definitely, um, you know, I think it was, I guess, I guess the, the one of the things that I really liked about Nothing Face is because it confused me at first right i wasn't sure what was going on and so you really had to listen to figure out what you what these songs were doing and you know and, and by the way just in my taste in music i i enjoy that process i like i like uh, not going when i hear something and i know where it's going and i know what's going to happen next it better just be a really catchy tune because otherwise i'm going to lose in you know interest almost immediately and and i think these don't quite go into that territory, but they're pushing towards that direction in that, that, that it's, it's more of a simpler, um, you know, simpler construct in terms of, in terms of the song structures. Yeah. I, I like, I really did like Mike's observation about the guitar, the weird shit on this one that's kind of hiding in plain sight and kind of some of the cheese factor where it's like, Oh, gross. It's like CeCe DeVille guitar tone. But then there's <laughs> then there's this like whole tones lick that makes the hair on your arm stand up, you know, and it's like, whoa, that's not what I expected to, you know. <laughs> well, that yeah. was one, 
one of the quotes I read is they got really tired when they were um, touring and promoting Nothing Face because it was so complicated. They had to concentrate really hard. They wanted something that was a little easier so they could enjoy themselves on stage a bit more. And that was partially the reason for this album. Fair enough. Yeah. Mike, maybe maybe you have some thoughts on uh, metalheads maybe aren't always the most open-minded cats in the world. And... Uh, <laughs> And they're very segmented by a specific subgenre or, or idiom. Uh, like you said, you know, Scott might not be able to tell the difference between progressive black metal and, uh, you know, thrash, you know, old school thrash or just, you know, any of these things. But to, uh, uh, you know, to the right two metalheads, they'll get into a knife fight over one of those things being awesome and one of them just being crap. I think one of the significance, the big significance of Nothing Face with that Pink Floyd cover was that they were there. The first couple of Voivod records are really, really good, but they are sort of progressive thrash albums that are mostly focused on going faster, faster, more complex licks. And I think when they put out Nothing Face, it was very like hard on sleeve like reference like hey we like this and i i know for a lot of thrash fans and metalheads you know byron for instance you know this is like his favorite drummer and one of his favorite bands ever and he uh you know he was like for a lot of metalheads that i knew like this was the thing that got them to really take pink floyd and shit like that seriously it was like not okay to really be a hardcore thrash fanatic and yeah that sid barrett's mighty all right you know like that was not a thing and and so voivod i mean as far as metal bands go they're pretty nerdy you know they're a well-kept secret they're kind of a musician's band. They never were, despite being contemporaries of Metallica and the, you know, the big four and everything, they never were as famous. Because they're Canadian. Yeah, well, it was always because they were a little bit too weird and they wouldn't pull back on that. And so their finest moments are when they really like lean into that and they're like, fuck it, we're going to own this. And I think they were trying that with this one, but you know, I don't know, different tastes maybe. This It's not a bad album. I like it. <laughs> isn't one of the guys, I know they're all Canadian, but isn't one of the guys French, you know, uh, even in the band? They, I think they're all, are they all Quebecers? Well, yeah. You know, are they all Quebecers? Yeah. It's a Quebec, yeah they, Quebecois. Think, so, so that's going to put them, you know, behind the eight ball just a little bit anyway. Um, <laughs> The best bands, the weirdest shit comes, you know, from a, a vacuum, you know, like the most original stuff comes from a, a, a scene where you got to you got to mean it like your life depends on it because it does. Yeah. Well, that's why they all had to have nicknames like Blackie and Piggy because, you know, the real names were like Jean-Luc and Jean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, no, Logan, I definitely agree. I think metalheads do have a uh, very refined aesthetic sense. You know, they, they know what they like. The connection here, I, I am, you know, because I'm a historian by trade, I am reluctant to buy into some of the reviews I read of this album because they seem to be informed more by the present than when the album actually came out. Um, but I do, But I do see a thread if not a direct connection, you know, to other bands like, you know, Metallica and Megadeth and the like that, um, that altered their sound considerably right at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I wonder if that was, um, you know, because of audience reaction or if it was, uh, you know, record company influence or, or it could have been just, um, boredom. <laughs> right, right. Boredom. Right. It could have been, or, or, you know, the, the whole, there, there was a considerable backlash against hair metal in the eighties. And I think people just didn't want to be, uh, associated with that 
anymore, right? You know, um, you know, but they also ended up going. You know, maybe it was the 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 uh, the shift towards grunge. I I'm not sure, but um, but this seems to fit in with that whole that whole atmosphere. Well, I mean, in just a few years, Metallica is about to become short haired, just d- disgustingly rich because they. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> turned to you know more radio rock kind of fair. I'll I'll lend them to you, Matt. But I've got I've got a most of the first four on uh i don't have the first one but i have roar killing technology dimension hatros and they are furious thrash albums that kind of just get better and better and so i I think some of this maybe backlash towards this one and why we're not getting oh my god this is a, a huge departure it's like to us it's like no this just sounds like some guys that like motorhead and hawkwind Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like they, they have one too many cactus records, you know, I think compared to their first couple of records, which I mean, Roar Killing Technology and Dimension Hatros into nothing face is like a flawless run. It gets better and better. It's like it's it's four albums that like your favorite band would kill to have made like any of them. Like it's it's really, really sorry, Metallica, you know, sorry, Slayer fans. Sorry, Metallica fans like that run you know, at least ties with the best of Voivod is a seriously impressive and important, uh, um, a thrash band when thrash at a period when thrash was really evolving quickly. We brought this up before, but it's like the, the title for fastest or heaviest changed hands like weekly for a few years. Right. So this is sort of like the opposite of painkiller by Judas priest where, you know, after years of having the metal cranked up, they finally turned it down. Yeah. You know what? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. Kind of. We're old. Our ears hurt. <laughs> but I mean, you mentioned that record and, and to the point that each of you both made, especially looking at this from a historical point of view, for mainstream heavy music, 1991 was a tumultuous year when this yeah. came out. There was a lot of change going on. And yeah, like grunge wasn't completely a thing yet because I think 91 was when uh, Nevermind dropped. But it was also when... Bands like like Alice in Chains was transitioning from the stuff that was on facelift, which was like much more hair metal oriented. They're leaving their fingerless lace gloves in the in the closet, you know. Oh yeah, heck, even bands like Pantera, right? Yeah, and so yeah, and so ninety one. This is right before Pantera drops uh, Vulgar Display of Power, which is literally one of the heaviest records ever recorded by anybody, you know. And then you have you know, there were, there was just tons and tons of change. So I I don't know if it's coincidental you know it's probably a variety of factors such as you said about you know the hair metal backlash just people wanting to be able to play music they could actually play and enjoy live but that was definitely the year that a lot of these bands were just like oh left turn let's go and just decided to do drastically different things did anyone else get husker do kind of vibes from this Hmm. Uh, i would say no because that if we do one of their albums i will have heard none of them until then (laughs) i have several gaps in my uh music knowledge that are hopefully going to get filled by this podcast so we all do dive in is that why you're doing it huh it pretty much (laughs) that is well worth your time I've, i've heard nothing but good things but you know generally people don't say bad stuff about bands except for maybe the eagles so or canadians oh those canadians right well do we want to start with the uh, shortwave intro although there's really not much to say about this there's not much it might be the most psychedelic thing on the record <laughs> yeah, actually actually have ever had in my life a trigger on a pistol or a rifle 
Well, that, that's that. That's that. <laughs> I, I, if you listen to Back to the Egg by Paul McCartney and Wings, they have a short, you know, one-minute track that sort of the same thing, just radio static and maybe some vocals or spoken word you can't understand. This comes in at 27 seconds. Indeed. It's kind of like the, the opening fanfare from Music from the Elder. Yeah, there we go, yeah. I was thinking maybe uh, their their Majesty's Satanic Request that had that kind of you know noisy chatter in the background kind of thing. So is this the tone of the album now? No, you could have lopped this off and it would have made no difference to the record at all. I think. So moving on, <laughs> we'll check out the first real song, uh, "Panama" by Van Halen. Wait. <laughs> blame me right i play this and they're saying oh it's not metal this is like progressive and psychedelic no no that's metal <laughs> that's just metal it could be on a judas priest record you know something like yeah. that i mean it goes into five four at some point i'm like okay you get a few points there but still right i think that song specifically is the most sort of metal you know air quotes for yeah. early 90s of the entire record like even that though that it's very uh you know it's propulsive it, it's kind of catchy that uh but like the guitar whatever he's doing there uh you know there's there's this it's not quite straight there's a little dissonance that comes in with the you know at the end of each each lick you know whatever whatever note note choices he's making for those chords which is uh which is um you know i don't know i find it appealing well like who mentioned Van Halen? Because that's yeah. man. <laughs> well, I thought it was Panama at first, but it's Panorama, which is a different country, I think. Now that was by the yeah. Cars. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's very uh, blues, rocky, amped up. I don't know. I can, you know, I only say this because I've been torturing my coworkers with uh, the the first two David David Lee Roth solo records, which are great. I can I can just hear Diamond Dave howling over the top of this, and it would fit right in. You have to gate that snare drum a little bit more, but we're real close. What were those? Skyscraper and uh, Eat 'em and Smile. Eat 'em and Smile. That was it. Yeah. Didn't he do an album in Spanish around that time, or an EP? I don't know, but I know. I think. Yeah, if this was 91, that was right around uh, David Lee Roth's record. Uh, it had that song, A Little Ain't Enough. It's the one with the devil on the cover. Yeah. Yeah, and that was like, that was definitely like the desperate last grasps of hair metal. <laughs> yeah. Well, even even this though, that like, I agree with, with Scott that I think it could, you know, if you listen to a lot of popular, you know, not necessarily thrash metal, uh, or not thrash metal. When you listen to popular metal music in the '80s, this song this song is not very distant from that. But there is something different about it. it it's still not 
you know, you're not going to confuse them, or I certainly wouldn't confuse them with, say, Poison or Motley Crue or something like that. Winger. You know, there's, yeah, like there's, there's a, uh, but, you know, it is, like I was saying before, it, it's pretty, it's, it's, for the most part, it's pretty straightforward, this track is. Yeah. Which, probably why they put it first, or, well, second, technically, but first, really. Although the next track is the one they did a, a video for, which was Clouds in My House. That intro kills me. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's weird. It's like a it's it's uh to me that that intro that all that stuff it sounds like a kiss song until you get yeah. to the chorus and then you're like oh there's Voivod right <laughs> that's like a um, that vocalist though I I can't I can't imagine I know that he left the band for a while I can't imagine this band without him being the singer. I mean it's very distinctive his vocal. Yeah, just get Gary Sharon to do it. He'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, but I think that that song's. So what's interesting is when I listen to this record, all of every single song on here. Like, like I think I'm pretty safe in saying that I'm. This isn't like one of my favorite albums of all time, (laughs) but like every single song has something cool. Like, like every single song has at least one cool part or one cool change. And as hokey as that, like very first few bars of that song is when it switches to the verse phrase and then the chorus riff, it's actually like, it, it caught my attention. There's actually some very brave choices to make. Like, and I thought that was really cool from a songwriting perspective on this particular track. I think, yeah, back to the back to the Van Halen thing, I would say the same thing about them, where it's like, <laughs> there's a lot of Van Halen that's pretty so-so, but it has like a cool thing or two in there somewhere. And this, this is like that, where, like middle of the road Van Halen like yeah it's a rock song it's perfectly serviced oh wait that was neat you know? <laughs> now how how high do your ceilings have to be before you get clouds in your house I don't know but that's that's that idea of indoor clouds is really cool that's probably my favorite part about the song yeah well, <laughs> maybe you live on the coast and the fog is rolling in through your you know your uh, French doors um I was listening without looking at the uh, track titles, and I thought he was singing about clowns in your house, and that sounds far scarier. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I can see it now, like those those cliffs in Quebec and the, the, the fog rolling in and weird identifiable objects outside on the lawn. You know, there's, um, My house in the middle of the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you, get off of my cloud. I really don't know clouds at all. There we go. Yeah. It's like I knew there was another one. <laughs> Send us your cloud songs at detoursandoutliers at gmail.com. The clouds are crying. Because the wind cried Mary. Which was supposedly, by the way, that uh, that Elmore James tune, you know, that the sky is crying. Apparently the guy, he wrote it with his buddy and his buddies named it The Clouds Are Crying. And uh, Elmore kept getting it wrong. He kept saying the sky is crying and his buddy kept getting mad at him. That makes no sense. Sky can't cry. Clouds would cry, you know. But anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, uh, some people get poetry, others don't, I guess. Right. 
Shall we move on to the next track? <laughs> We're seeing a theme here. If we got the fog rolling into your home, this next one is a nautical theme. Yar, <laughs> ahoy, me mateys. Stay with me here, okay? Maybe I found the psychedelic connection. Maybe I was looking at it wrong. I was thinking more in terms psychedelic, meaning space rock kind of thing. If you think of psychedelic as being more like late '60s, like the Strawberry Alarm Clock and Incense and Peppermint and that sort of thing, this this sounds like that. I mean, this this has that sort of late '60s psychedelic vibe all over Moby it. Moby Grape. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. This is as close as, as thrash metal ever gets to jangly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this song specifically, like, it sounds like garage rock to me. Yeah. Like, like it legit, uh, and especially, obviously, it preceded it by, you know, almost a full 20 years. But if you guys remember, like, you know, the early, early 2000s, like, garage rock revival with, like, the Mooney Suzuki and, like, Sahara Hot Nights and a lot of that stuff. Oh, yeah. I feel like that was like very informed by this because because it sounds like exactly as you said like somebody heard one or two records from that specific '60s era, but like a long time ago, and they're trying to like draw it by memory. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, well, and then you know maybe I don't I don't know anything about these guys at all really, but if if uh, you know if if on Nothing Face they put Astronomy Domine right you know a Sid Barrett tune early Pink Floyd, that would seem to indicate that they, they liked music from that era. I right. would, I would guess. Right. You know, cause once you, once you start digging, you said, Oh, I, I like Pink Floyd. Right. You're going to start looking at other stuff that's around that time. And, and, uh, or maybe who knows? I don't know. But, but this, this is very, it's very peppy. You know, it's like that. This is the song that Pat Boone should have covered from this album. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Along the water line. <laughs> it's, it's very strange to hear a way the drummer playing boom, bop, boom, bop, bop, boom, like a happy rock and roll, heavy backbeat. Like, it's so funny. It's just, it's like, I didn't even know he could do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. Yeah, so what Matt was saying, or... Mike was saying too about the garage rock. It's like, man, if they just had overdubbed a little bit of of out of tune Farfisa on this thing, <laughs> it would be a whole different. It would be a game changer, man. Question mark in the Mysterians. Yeah, yeah, they were kind of psychedelic. They were strange. I would, yes, let's say. <laughs> what if Voivod just did a a, a forty five minute uh, surf and bird cover? <laughs> that, that would be interesting. I think I think Family Guy did that already. Don't you know about the bird? <laughs> yeah. Everybody's heard that the bird is the word. Well, I guess those shows are only 22 minutes long, So, but it was a 22-minute um, version. <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll, I'll be straightforward with this. I, so far, I have nothing against this album. I kind of like it. But I don't have a history with Voivod, you know. So. Yeah, 
You give it your best regards. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well done, Scott. Well done. Thank you. Stay cool. See you after school. Whom it may concern. I don't know. That that song to me is like, especially it, it, the way it's sequenced after the last song. To me, this is sort of the actual beginning of the record. Because from here on, these songs all seem to fit much more closely together than those first couple songs, which had those like yeah. errant, like we said, like Van Halen-esque riffs. Yeah. Where these actually sound like, oh, I, I get what they're trying to do. You know, there, and there's more of a, a of a core theme to a lot of the to a lot of the guitar work, especially. Yeah, there were there were a few of those harmonic squeals in there. Yeah, they're they're really cool. They they weren't like because even that drum beat, the way it, um, you know, obviously it's all fitting in the same amount of bars, but when it switches the second time to it's like almost like a fake triplet. You know, like not hearing a lot of that in metal in '91. You know, like yeah, there. I mean, I think it's. Uh... It's tough to um, overstate how influential, especially Away's drumming is in or in the shape of of progressive thrash at this time. Like he was like one of the main dudes, like really shaping stuff. And then to hear him play like blues rock drums is just hilarious because like with the guitar work, something clever sneaks in even when he's trying to play it. When he's trying to play it straight just some weird shit just kind of falls out of them and it's in there. <laughs> so you're like, what, what was that? Yeah. I, I love those harmonics in this song though. Like it was, it's one of those things when I first heard that, this is one of the, the things on the album. Like when we talk about like, there's something in every song for everyone, like yeah. the harmonics. And I think if this is a song, like I think they bring them back at the end underneath like a much busier baseline. And then again, that speaks to like how clean the production is. Cause you can still hear everything everyone's doing, Yeah, but it adds like this much more dense effect, like almost like a more dramatic effect, you know, to the end of the song. And it's one of the only songs on the record that has like a dramatic ending. The rest of them just like the song just kind of stops. And it's like, okay, great. We're done. <laughs> yeah. But this song, like the way they bring those harmonics back, uh, this is one of the few things on the record that I was like, that's really cool. That, that was well done. And how about the bass tone on this album, man? It's fantastic. Like, there's no bass in heavy metal. What are you talking about? There's well, then this isn't heavy metal, man. Yeah, it is cranked up and snarling. You know, if you're a geek for that sort of stuff, get on the internet and Google Voivod blower bass because uh, uh, Blackie had these really weird serrated kind of flying V-shaped five strings with a with a high B string. Um, that uh, he was using um, around this time. And I'm not sure if that's exactly what was on Nothing Face and this, but there are, there's a company that makes a, a bass overdrive specifically to copy the bass tone of Nothing Face. And I think, they've, I think they took that and ran with it on this one and made it even hairier and scarier and fuzzier, um, which is really cool. And for gearheads out there, it's a, it's a Marshall super lead with, a, with a, a dummy load so they could just really 
drive the shit out of the power section of it apparently played with like really thick like plexiglass picks and just dug in from his shoulder what did you say it was a f- five string yeah it's a well so he played fours and fives but the the most famous uh blower bass had uh um a high b string so so you oh, could well, play kind of like power yeah. chords up high um that he'd use for rhythm stuff which live is really cool there's some good live footage where you can see him doing that where he's basically playing rhythm guitar so that Piggy can really kind of go into space with his delay pedal and some of that. Like I said, no bass and metal. No bass and metal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to yeah, have you just, modify just my a, bass. It's just then. a big guitar, right? Exactly. Yeah, man, we'll get, we'll get rid of that dumb... You got the wrong B-string on your rig, man. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You put that sucker up high. Didn't yeah. we learn anything from St. Anger? Yeah. <laughs> 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 um. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is true. So, oh, that was on. Rob. That wasn't uh Which one was Bob Rock? Yeah, that was Bob Rock was the bass player that was on Bob Saint Rock. Anger. Okay. Yeah. Playing the Loverboy bass player guy's bass. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> was he really? <laughs> Can't make this shit up, man. <laughs> yeah, I think that's for the weekend, baby. Yeah. This is what happens when you introduce Metallica to rock. It's not a good combination. Uh-huh. But, you that, know. And so, you know, <laughs> they should have just listened. Metallica should have just listened to the this uh, Voivod record and been like, well, that was a misstep. We probably don't want to do anything like that. Yeah. Then, Metallica doesn't have to be metal. It's not like it's in their name or anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Moving on. <laughs> Why not? What are we on? Twin dummy? Twin dummy. Reminds me of a song by a band in DC called Puff Pieces. That's sort of a minimalist, weird punk band that has some. Is that the little the little girls that fly around and shoot things out of their? Oh, those are the Powerpuff Pieces. Oh, Powerpuff Girls. Close, yeah. close, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that's a pretty nasally vocal performance there. <laughs> Less Claypool on vocals. Well, well. Scott, you had mentioned before that the '80s were the the time period of the the, the, the snotty, snotty whiny, no, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, um, vocalist. It is very of that ilk. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Vocal. <laughs> Again, I just can't stop from imagining old Diamond Dave coked up to the to the gills. You know, he does yeah! cocaine <laughs> all over this thing, dude. That would be great. Lyrics, I think, are supposed to be some sort of like creepy Boingo Boingo David Lynch thing, but I, I couldn't pay understand. Yeah, yeah. When when did the the uh, the David Lynch movie come out where there were these twin brothers? Oh, I think? Lost Highway. Yeah, that. Uh, I think that was like ninety five, ninety six, somewhere. Oh, in there. Okay, so it yeah, wasn't, it was uh, a little bit after this. I was actually think. just watching the movie a few weeks ago. Oh, Which yeah. one is that? So Lynch was inspired by this then. Uh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's Canadian, like isn't he? Uh, Lynch? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. Or is He's that from Cronenberg. like Montana or Washington or something? No, I could be. 
I don't know who I'm thinking of. Never mind. I like how all the the instrument tones on this are very like eighties. Like you've heard all of these things before, like the, these guitar tones, like separately. You're like, oh yeah, this is some tweezy hair metal lead guitar, or hey, that's some you know Michael Anthony sounding big chuggy rock bass, right? You know, just individually, but but the the sum of its parts thing is really like they're mixing up these kind of tones that are are pretty. Uh, recognizable and ordinary in a really weird way. <laughs> so it's like I keep finding myself want to, wanting to critique uh, a drum sound or a guitar sound or a bass thing or something like that and just be like, oh, that's pretty corny or ham-fisted or whatever. But it's like, yeah, but they're doing something really screwed up with it. So it's like I kind of don't mind. Like if it was different, it might not be as weird. So i got to give them credit for that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that too. And I think, I think the... Uh, you know the the production helps that. I mean, to me, it it really does sound. You know, whether it was or not, it it really does sound like guys in a room playing. You know, yeah. even if say you know a guitar part was overdubbed or or whatever, it's like you hear the guitar coming out of the amp. I mean, that's what yeah. that's what it sounds like to me. And I I uh, you know I enjoy that. I enjoy that about this record a lot. Yeah. You know, you know some like even on on uh, I haven't listened to it for a while, but even like on on Nothing Face. You know, some of it, some of the stuff is very uh, overproduced. Isn't quite the right word, but it's not. It's not designed to say, "Oh, look, here are four guys in a room. Let's capture this sound." There's something just more big and bombastic going on, right? This, this is more. This is more band-like. It seems. Yeah. Yeah. Can picture these songs sounding very similar to this when they're being written and rehearsed. Yeah. 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 And not very difficult to reproduce on stage either so they might have achieved their goal then yeah yeah something easier to play live well you know right well, well there's still a lot going on in these songs that, that's one thing yeah. that's interesting like so when we talk about these things that are like easy to play live like that's that's a comparative yeah sure yeah, yeah. exactly because like like i mean again 91 this was right about the time the black uh album dropped say whatever else we will say about that record it's not that those were necessarily like beginners riffs oh no no they were just way easier than anything metallica had done prior and i feel like this is sort of the same thing like this is probably for the people in voivod for what they've been doing they could probably play this stuff with their eyes closed but i remember when i was first learning guitar and like i had friends show me voivod stuff and i was just like it was beyond me as like you know a beginner player you know yeah yeah well, right. It's like not like a verse, chorus, verse, chorus. You know, middle eight solo. You know, chorus to the end kind of thing. You know, your typical pop song. And uh, like like you said with the Black Album with Metallica, it's not like it's not as if those were uh, were you know simpleton kind of things. You know, when you say well they they stripped their sound down, they made it more simple. It's like well yeah, you have to look at what came before. And Justice for All, you know, you don't have a nine minute song with fifty parts in it. Right, that's going to be harder to remember, right? If nothing else, when you play it live, right? You know, right. This, then Inter Sandman, right? Which is you know. all eight of those notes, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, we love we'd love it if no one else did. <laughs> it was formative. We'll we'll leave yeah. it at that. Which song on this album is Voivod's Enter Sandman? It might be this next tune, the uh, title track, Angel Rat. My friend never looked down from 
So remember that uh, episode, the Halloween episode of The Simpsons, where Bart had an evil twin and he made a pigeon rat? Is that what this song's about? <laughs> um, could be. You know, I don't know if this is their inner Sandman, but but I could, you know, the first thing I thought of was Smashing Pumpkins, which of course is later. But it, but it's, it's I don't know why exactly, but that's it. Just yeah. that. Uh, you know, I know that band's near and dear to a lot of people's hearts, but uh, uh, they always seemed a bit derivative to me, but tougher and louder, I guess. But um, I don't know. Maybe they were influenced by this. One of my favorite kind of psych doomy bands currently is a band called Windhand, and they, I, their guitarist and and you know primary songwriter guy like loves 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 the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and even though. The, their bands sound very different. I think texturally, I mean, it's it's a it's a big muff thing. It's a it's a humbuckers and big muff thing. But there's a certain fuzzy aesthetic with uh, the Smashing Pumpkins that I can see connected to this and a lot of stuff. And uh, you know, having a having a, a, a you know altogether pretty good influence on some heavy music. So, and when when do they blow up? Them. Wasn't that around ninety? Two or three. So it's ninety-two to ninety-three, but I, yeah. I think you're you're definitely in the right ballpark because when you like like I'm a huge Pumpkins fan, and especially their early stuff. And their early stuff, Oregon. So first of all, we have the nasally singing of on this record, and right. Oregon was super nasally. Right, <laughs> right, right. But I th- I think you're definitely in the right ballpark because you know Corgan was one of the things that I always thought was cool in his early interviews is he was really open about not having the same influences or so he thought as a lot of his peers coming up in the, in, in the, in the indie scene right then. So he, and he was to- very openly talking about being a huge fan of psych rock, a huge fan of late 60s stuff. And then also a huge fan of like seventies arena stuff. Yeah. And their first record Gish like the best songs on it are not the heavy songs. And really there's really only like three or four heavy songs. The rest of it's all super spacey and super proggy. Like, so I, I think you're not wrong. I, I can definitely see him being a huge Voivod fan, specifically this record. Yeah. Or at least, yeah. At, at least, you know, maybe listening to the same sorts of things as well. I mean, right. having some of the same influences, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's like, it, it is really interesting. Like when, uh, when you put, when you put this stuff in, into the time period and the context of it, you know, even, even the bands that you think are on the outside, like maybe Voivod, they're, they're still they're still releasing records. They're still out there. They're still part of what's happening, um, influenced by other things, but also have to be influencing others as well. So I think, uh, um, and a guy like Billy Corgan, I could totally see that. It's like I am not going to, I you know I'm not going to glam on to, I don't know whatever Kurt Cobain was into the Stooges and and uh, Motorhead or something. I'm you know right. I, I'm going to grab onto something different, um, right. which is which is um, probably just artistically a wise thing to do right and i can and it, well it's also one of those things where i again i think part of why i like about like it and one of the things i love on this record to you know logan's earlier point about leaning into it like we can say a lot of things about this record but we can't say they didn't mean it like you like they're they're like all right here we go and they, you they kept these themes yeah you know yeah. sonically and in the, in the caliber of performance like all the way through and uh, the reason uh, to to your point that you just made like i think that's really cool when artists um can mention things like this and not care about whether or not it gets them cool points 
Mm-hmm. You know, they're just like, this is this weird thing that I liked. And if you like my music, know that this helped me write this song. <laughs> you know, like. Remember back in the day when, you know, not only people sold CDs, but they sold them on commercials mm-hmm. on broadcast television. There was that uh, compilation. I think it was called Monster Ballads. It was all like the, yeah. the hair metal power ballads. Does Voivod have a, a song like, you know, Every Rose Has Its Thorn? And if so, is this this it, as close as they get to that song? Yeah, this this is why they're not, you know, like like Scott, you were saying, is like, a, you know, they, they're a metal band. To me, it's like, you know, from my limited perspective, you know, I'll definitely have to go back and listen to some of that earlier stuff. They were never a metal band in my mind. I mean, they had they had that kind of sound. They were playing, you know, loud um, loud guitars with lots of gain. Um, but uh, but it it, uh, it didn't seem to fit in with what the definition of what people were calling metal. It's like I don't think they were invited to the US Festival on Metal Day, you know, for example, right? You know, so so they they uh, but but I don't know who they toured with and stuff. Maybe they were right smack dab in the middle of the whole metal scene. Apparently, on this album for the tour, they were touring with Soundgarden. So yeah, yeah. Who also had Moby opening for them at some point, so you, you never know. I don't know for for a, a sheltered, you know, kid growing up with a very um, limited life experiences, who you know, hair metal was not you know seen as silly, but as scary and yeah. sign that you're going to hell. <laughs> then yes, all metal sort of. You know, I could not tell Voivod from Winger. At least at the time, smoking in the boys' room. Mike, exactly. Feel feel free to chime in here on this one, but I think that I think we need to make a distinction about the hair metal thing, and particularly in regards to thrash, because the two were kind of divergent, at least in the middle '80s. Well, and like you said, those people would fight each other. Where as 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 hair metal, which was just, I mean, it's like really just amped up rock and roll with fingerless lace gloves and you know a wetsuit bottoms for some reason i, I don't know but uh <laughs> well there are people lace. who can tell the difference between say kenny g and felonious monk and then there are those who can't that's true it all sounds like jazz to them but and, thrash you know, metal is somewhat of a reaction to you know amped up rock and roll turning into this popular hair metal thing and these monster ballads and things like that um, I think a lot of the, and particularly, you know, bands like Voivod, who are kind of at the vanguard of driving that shit to ex- insanely fast and technical places, uh, I think they were really working hard to be like, no, this is like thrash, this is progressive thrash metal, this is not Motley Crue. That's and, and, or not bon even Jovi, the same, right? yeah, or, or Bon Jovi or just anything like that. And And I think... These, you know, Voivod and their contemporaries were, um, I mean, see the, the Anvil documentary, you know, there were a bunch of those bands that were just absolutely badass that you've never heard of before because, you know, there were, there were 10 bands that were kind of all competing with each other and like one or two of them got big enough for most people to know about them and the, the others just kind of faded into obscurity or self-destructed and, um, you know, Voivod's still around, you know, they've had their ups and downs, but they're still around, but they're, they're a pioneering thrash band. And that this is as close as they ever got to, you know, MTV metal. When we mentioned, we mentioned, you know, Metallica before Metallica's bass player joins Voivod. Yep. 
after leaving Metallica, right? So Metallica had a bass player? <laughs> I guess he wanted to be heard. Um, yeah, yeah, so he had to go to a non-metal metal band. Um, was Anvil, were, were they one of the, the, uh, the big four of Canadian thrash metal? Yeah, they were. For Canadians, yep. yes. Yeah, so, uh, so. It's pretty polite. Oh, oh no, but know. no, Logan, you're absolutely right about that. The whole, the whole like hair metal thing. It, it's never uh, uh, the joke I always told, which no one got and and never laughed. But I'll say it anyway. Is I always called it heavy tinsel, because there was you know because it was there. There's no metal there. It was just all sort of fluff, right? It was just a. It was it was right. a. This this genre this sound of music can be marketed and we're gonna do it and we're gonna try to make a buttload of money off of it and that's what they did and so the the kind of over commercialization of that kind of soured you know yeah. soured the whole the whole kind of um, um, dark dangerous and and also um, a kind of outsider vibe of what I think a lot of metalheads like about metal. And, and, right. uh, you know, and I, I think thrash was, was clearly was, was a reaction against that in, in that, yeah. that we're, we're not going to be slick and, and we're uh, not going to take it. Right. No, <laughs> yeah. We ain't going to take it. <laughs> it well, I, I, I'm sorry for continuing to go back to Van Halen, but I mean, that's, it makes me think of Van Halen, how you, you know, David Lee, you know, not Van Hagar, but you've got the tinsel with Van Halen, but there's substance behind it. And it seems like as time went on, like the substance left and it was just the outfits that were left on stage. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, I always thought of them the, being more Vegas than tinsel though, you know? So it's like, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but still <laughs> I mean, vaud, vaudevillian. Yeah. 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 With Dave. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's like, I, and I, I have that. I'm not, I'm not because my musical tastes are, I, I would like to think they're pretty, they're pretty wide and diverse, probably not as wide as, as, as some, but I've always, I've always had a fondness for metal, but I've also staked out my own territory. There were a lot of things where I was just like, this doesn't count because it's, it's pure bullshit. Right. And, and, uh, uh, and, and I would get angry, you know, this is my teenage self at my friends who would be listening to, you know, the schlock that was on the radio in the eighties and calling it metal. Right. It was just like a personal affront to me. It was like, like this, how is this connected in, to black Sabbath in any sense of anyone's imagination? Right. But somehow, but somehow they, remember they did, you know, the term, you know, uh, rock and roll get, you know, takes you from Marilyn Manson to Chuck Berry and, and, you know, Gigi Allen and Karen Carpenter. Yeah. Gigi <laughs> Allen, you know, it's, it's, it's a big, you know, what, I don't know what people are calling like rap or hip hop or whichever one of those you go with. It's like, that's fucking vast and huge over decades now too, but it still gets used as a catch all because of like one, one aspect or another. And it's like, there's there's a world inside of every little specific you know every band could define a, a an incredibly specific genre or, or idiom of, of music and did and, you guys you know, know the uh, notorious big has been uh, he's been inducted to the rock and roll hall of fame yeah good i didn't know that good yeah That's no awesome. i think good too it's just it's like what is rock and roll that's a it's a huge catch all. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I believe the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame will tell you where yeah, Rock yeah. and Roll is now. <laughs> well, that's why they're there. I'm pretty sure Garth Brooks doesn't know whatever it is. <laughs> right. You mean Chris Gaines? Oh yes, Chris Gaines, completely different person. <laughs> well, shall we move on to the uh, to the two towers of this, my precious? I was a- 
I mean, so so that's definitely some prog right there, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like that earns the title, like for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, like also, and even a certain degree of psych too, because there's a, there's a good amount of there's a, a healthy dose of delay in that. And the just the talking and stuff like that <laughs> takes you back to to Zeppelin and stuff. That, that's a like hard on sleeve. I don't think Golem is the same as Gollum. Yeah, no, Golem, Golem, and Gollum are different different things, right? Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> but but I don't know what they were talking about, so I couldn't say definitively. But yeah, but isn't a golem like a uh, like it's like a it's like a monster? I thought. Yes, right. Jewish folklore is this creature that you put like requests in its mouth, and then it comes alive and sort of like the monkey's paw. It does what you request, but there's always some terrible price. Oh, like yelling. a wedding DJ, basically. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Get everything you want. <laughs> yeah. So right. Yeah. So so you want to you know you want to you want to kill your boss because he's a dick, and so you 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 ask the services of the golem, and then whatever your dog gets run over in the process or something, right? Exactly. Something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Now the real question, going back to last week's episode. Do you think Beavis and Butthead would like this more than Kid Cudi? Oh, yes. Because <laughs> I don't understand why Beavis and Butthead were pretending to like that album, but this seems right up their alley. They wouldn't be able to make fun of it True. as much as they could have made fun of Kid Cudi, but... But they just like, yeah, this rules, yeah! yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, though, with this particular song, um, like when Logo was talking about the two towers, like, I definitely hear that because this song... Out of every, out of, I think the only other song that gave me this thought was like the very last song um, that we'll get to, none of the above. But uh, there's something about this song that <laughs> it took me a minute to place it. So it, I feel like you could have taken the video for Holy Diver, like just the video, yeah, and put this music over it, and it would have still worked. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Like, like there's yeah, something. Yeah. Like European folklore about this song, like oh, no. yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Mike, you and Logan are, are right. It definitely has that two towers sort of vibe, or or like you said, a European folklore with the uh, sort of this medieval romanticism, you know, that's sort of going on. It's um, yeah. I don't know. I dug this song. Scott, have you been drinking out of that bejeweled skull goblet this whole time? <laughs> Indeed, mead. Maybe you could also replace the uh, the the music from the safety dance video because you know they're all. Dancing I was around just it. about to bring that ah, up, man. Yeah, oh. which is odd because men without hats do make an appearance on this record. We haven't got there yet, but there oh. is a song where men without hats, and we're going to talk about it. It's a small world. Stay tuned. It's a small, strange Stay world. Tuned. <laughs> the Outcast with with a C, not a K. Not enough harmonica in metal music. That's definitely true. I'm definitely hearing the Van Halen now. Yes. Yeah. The, well, there's keyboards on this song, and they're actually provided by Ivan Dorishuk, I think is how you pronounce it, from Men Without Hats, because the drummer played on the Men Without Hats album they were recording at this time, which may be a future episode, because Men Without Hats decided that 
Guitars were the future, and synths were out, and they did like a heavy metal album called Sideways in '91. Wow, with a way on drums, with like yeah, of a, a, a absolute top of his game, badass proggy thrash drummer, fucking men without hats album. Jesus. <laughs> yes, is, you can't you can't make this shit up, man. You you can dance if you want to, but you can leave your friends behind. <laughs> Try dancing when it's in thirteen. That's the unsafety dance. <laughs> so is this like the the latest version of Richard Corey by Simon and Garfunkel, or Jeremy by Pearl Jam? The the Outcast. I don't know. I didn't read any of the lyrics to this. I, I didn't get that far. Uh, yeah, I can't make out any of the words, so that's why I thought I'd ask. I, I can imagine so only because th- this is the one song that like actually made me laugh because of that harmonica. <laughs> like like I was like when that comes in, I'm just like like. It's it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, yeah, this whole thing is about talking about things that artists tried, right? Like, and the whole point was to try something different. But I feel like that's one of those things where, like, somebody should have said no. You know, there's there's a mute button on those consoles, you know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Every every channel's got one. Right? Well, I did notice lyrically that there's not a lot of, you know, I or you in these songs, or at least the song titles. These are all you know, narrative songs about third persons with plots. And, and I don't know if that's a typical metal thing, but it is certainly something I've noticed on this album. Yeah. Metalheads fuck with some hero's journey shit often. <laughs> yeah. Regularly. Right. And there's, <laughs> there, there is some emo metal, E-metal. It, it, e-metal. Yeah. It, it tends to be a little less interesting. I think. Yeah, man, I came for the goblins, goblins and dragons and shit. Right. Give me what I, give me what I paid for. Or, right. like, or even when there's an eye, it's it's always a you know a personification. I the dragon slayer. I am Iron Man. <laughs> I saw the movie Heavy Metal. I know what heavy metal songs are about. Right. <laughs> yes. Women with not very much clothes floating through space. On dragons. On yeah, dragons. and uh, who's the the Eagles drummer? Oh, Don Henley. Right. That's metal. <sighs> yeah. Nothing's more metal than the Eagles. <laughs> The Eagles of Death Metal. <laughs> That's a band, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, my. There's a couple of ways to interpret that one. <laughs> I, I think I've always interpreted that band's name exactly how Scott just insinuated. Yeah. Right. By, by the way, the harmonica our harmonica can be interpreted as a sort of roots instrument. This this next album, if or the next song rather, if I'm correct, I get the titles mixed up a little bit. There is a lot of slide guitar on here, which I think is pretty. I think it's freaking cool. But, yeah. Um, but, um, Nuage fractal. I don't even know what that means. New. I thought it was new age fractal for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they got to proofread shit and get those umlauts in there. <laughs> right. that go into like 12 8 kind of thing or or something like i don't have that many fingers i can't count it's great they're so good with like not really odd time like they're groovy as hell like they're less groovy when they're playing just four on the floor rock and roll than they are when they're playing a really weird square wheel odd time signature 
Frankenstein thing. And so they they drop in and out of that shit and you don't even notice because they like groove harder when the beat is screwed up and complicated and confusing. It's it's really cool. That that um that particular song sounds a lot to me like a hyped up, you know, hyped up version of Pink Floyd's metal album. You know, like like yeah. echoes. Metal with a D, not a yeah, T. metal. Yeah, like yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Stop meddling with me. Um, the um, I just I think it's really good. I like it a lot. Yeah. No, I do. <laughs> yeah. That slide guitar though, you're you're right. It, it's really cool. Like, I'd actually totally forgotten about that. So I'm glad you played that part of the song. But it, like, I think for me, one of the reasons it works. And I wish I could count time. That's like my biggest weakness as a musician. I can't count time for anything. But um. But what I do love is the juxtaposition of of how clearly linear that guitar line is over how almost insectile and fragmented the rhythm phrasing is underneath it. Yeah, I thought that was a very cool. That was one of the highlights of the record. Like like I was saying before, like the textural aspects of the in- instruments are doing a lot of heavy lifting. Just like the like timbral kind of, you know, it's not just the notes or the groove. It's like that there's like a particular fuzzy thing on the bass or a particular chorusy swirly thing going on at the guitar. And you know, Matt, you're the guitar expert here, particularly with the slide thing, but I think that's standard tuning just, it, it sounds like it. Yeah. And so, but like, how cool is that? Molly and I geek out on this regularly guitar stuff. That's like really high value, right? Like those Chuck Berry licks, man. There's a couple Chuck Berry licks where you can bend one note like a quarter tone and it makes the damn song and you can do it with like your pinky. It's dumb as hell, but it works every time if you put it in the right place and it's awesome. And I, I think Piggy was really good at knowing just what thing needed to go there. Not so much, oh, it needs to be this mode and this kind of thing. He was like, there needs to be a sound that you know, makes you feel like this and it needs to go right here. And even if it's something incredibly ham fisted or if something incredibly intricate and, and complicated, it's like, it would be like in the perfect place to have maximum effect. And that's really cool. And the slides are like exactly that. Like a non guitar player could overdub those slides with like some, some instruction, you know, (laughs) And, and they would be just as cool. Yeah. No, I, I think, uh, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Like Mike was saying earlier with that song, again, a title I can't remember, the song um, that had the, you know, the harmonic squeals in it. Those yeah. were, those were not gratuitous. They were always right where they should be. It's, um, yeah. it's they're kind of, you know, yeah, they're, they're remarkable. Um, the, you know, this band is, I'm not quite sure. We'll talk about it at the end. I'm not quite sure how this whole thing holds together, but we'll, uh, um, yeah. but we still have a couple more songs to get through, right? One more. Yeah. few. Yeah. Two more. Two more. We got Freedom next. It's that song that Paul McCartney wrote after 9-11 to cheer us all up. That song wasn't free. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that bass really 
pops right out of the speakers too. Again, that's a that's a hundred watt Marshall through four fifteens with a with a big uh, tone uh, with a with a dummy load on it in the studio. So they just had it dimed and about to catch on fire. Probably even during even during the ballady shit. <laughs> so this is their monster ballad. Yeah, lighters in the air on this record. I think what's funny is um. So if you don't recall this song immediately, I would recommend checking it out after the podcast. But um, Deftones have a song um, called Sex Tape on uh, the Diamond Eyes record, I think it's on. And like when I heard this, I feel like there are some strong parallels. Like I wonder if somewhere along the way this you know, was something that all those guys listened to because it's got a very similar beginning feel. Yeah. But uh, this song on this record, this one's the toughest for me because instrumentally, at least the beginning half when it's like this is actually my favorite thing on the record. Like I think the guitar is really beautiful. I really love the drum part. And like we were talking about pumpkins, it is very Jimmy Chamberlain sort of like pseudo jazz flourishes, you know, and exactly like you just said, the the, uh, bass tone in this song in particular is smoking. It's just absolutely rad. But this is my least favorite vocal performance. Of yeah. <laughs> like the vocals just suck on this song. Like, I, yeah. I mean, I should say they suck. I'm not a singer, but they're just it, it comes across as cheesy compared to everything else going on in the song. Yeah, it's it's not in his wheelhouse. It didn't seem like. Yeah, I was gonna like his vocals are very nasally and very kind of mid rangey, which is fantastic because they cut through a bunch of layered heavy metal crazy shit quite well and you can understand the words and with their whether it's goblins and dragons or sci-fi shit on some of their other records it's pretty cool on a thrash metal record you know this one is much more clear but even on nothing face you can understand the words to an absolutely raging you know thrash metal song and it's like how often is that the case almost never almost never and so it's and the other cool thing with his vocal style is that because of the nasally kind of mid-rangey thing a lot of times the vocals in Voivod work as some sort of rhythmic or melodic counterpoint. And so having them be very kind of sharp helps, you know, reinforce that. Like you shouldn't try to croon, you know, they're <laughs> 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 not going to do any uh, uh, Frank Sinatra tunes on this thing. So. Well, apparently some fans were rather disappointed that this was like the first Voivod album that didn't extend the epistotic story of Korgol, the Voivod, which was some sort of sci-fi Krull story that had been spelled out over the last four or five records. So hmm. these are actually less silly lyrics than previous albums. That, yes. that like their version of Eddie. Yeah. Something or Tarkus. Yeah. yeah but they, well, that, that would be a disappointment if you had this sort of running theme and you're expecting, you know, you're expecting to get the next chapter. What's Korgol up to now? Right. Bro? Right. I thought like a, a, isn't Voivod, isn't that like some, military commander in Eastern Europe, some Slovakian country or something like a, hmm. like a marshal or something leads troops in the battle. I don't, you know, huh. uh, but I, hmm. but maybe that has nothing to do with it, but they didn't have the internet back then. <laughs> they couldn't look it up. They just, yeah, made up some but, random but, but if they're, but if they're into that, you know, that sort of European, you know, mythology that might, uh, that might fit in and then put it on another wow. planet. Heck, then you're, then you're really going for it. Exactly. You got Heinlein and meets, you know, Anne Rand or whatever. Meets a Vlad the Impaler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, just because they're Canadian doesn't mean the, the, the Anne Rand <laughs> thing, Scott. Like, 
they don't all have to apologize for for neil (laughs) (laughs) he said to apologize for himself and he did um but um, yes we'll take it (laughs) i I was gonna say the heinlein thing is accurate with levad for sure yes they are in a strange land that's for sure canada yeah yeah Who's the Canadian? Who's the Canadian band that everyone hates? Bare Naked Ladies? No, uh, no, no, Nickelback. 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 That's it, right? Yeah. So, was Nickelback influenced by Voivod? Sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna say uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think they might have learned the wrong lessons. Perhaps I don't know. Perhaps <laughs> <laughs> they were like that. This last song was the only one that they really, really spoke to him. Yeah, dude, for real. <laughs> If you hated all of these songs, then vote for none of the above. Never made it as a wise man. <laughs> Couldn't cut it as a poor man stealing. <laughs> it almost right. sounds like Rainbow. I mean, you know, if you Rainbow in the dark. Well, just uh, that that uh, what Ronnie James Dio sang for Rainbow, right? That that band that um, Richie Blackmore put together post oh, post yeah. Deep Purple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it had that kind of you know sort of hard rock sort of dun 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 dun, dun, dun yeah. you know that kind of thing and. If you put some operatic vocals on on there, I think yeah. it would uh, it would uh, fit right in. Should have had King Diamond in for a song or two, dude. That would be yeah. rad. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Scott, what is the theme of this song lyrically? Um, you've got peace in one hand and in the other war. So you gotta hand it to you. I don't know. I think you're describing a Megadeth album cover. Pretty much. And I don't want either of those, right? None of the above. None, uh, so. none of the above. Neither peace nor war. You get. Uh, uh, what, what's what? the third option? <laughs> Argument clinic. Give me convenience or give me death. <laughs> yeah. Hey, aren't there? I think there are some uh, Dead Kennedys parallels with this album a little bit too, in the way that the vo- the vocals are kind of nasally. The bass is doing a lot of the riff heavy stuff. The drums are kind of frantic, and the guitar is more of this textural thing. And and I think that's one of the both for both bands a strength and a weakness is that is everything is kind of as aggressive as possible within the confines of that instrument. And when they're all kind of nestled together, it fits. But like when one is sort of featured more than the other, it's a little bit off-putting. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a really good parallel to draw because I think both of those bands, you know, when we talk about how influential, influential they are in their respective genres, yeah, each band's with like really specifically unique sounds. Like compared, at least compared to their contemporaries, you know. So that that's that is a really good parallel, definitely. I know for the, this song, and I forget. I th- I think you know when we were on before we talked about you know like some of the sequencing. <laughs> I feel like this was not a strong closer for such an. Yeah, but it's so funny with the album title to have that last. You can't open with it. Yeah, <laughs> I w- I would have been okay if this was not on the album. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks to Spotify, it can be. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I must hear things in their proper order. Do we want to discuss how this holds together as a, as like a work? Because the majority of it's really good, but 
maybe how it's packaged and maybe where it starts and where it goes to is less remarkable. (laughs) Well, they did front load the more metal seeming songs so that, you know, you could ease the, the audience into their weirder stuff, I suppose. But apparently metal fans do not like being eased into weird stuff. So they rejected this outright. Apparently this record, at least if you go by the reviews I've read, um, the closer you were, the reviews I read that were written closer to the time that it was released were far more negative than the more recent reviews. So it seems to have aged well mm-hmm. um, for what for whatever reason. Well, I think more retrospective reviews tend to be positive because why would you write about an album that's 30 years yeah. old that you don't like? Unless you're just really holding a grudge. Yes. Well, like that one review of the X album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this must be stricken from the face of the earth. <laughs> Let me uh, let me draw attention to this incredibly obscure thing that's awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good job, dude. By the, by the way, I I, uh, I purchased the the new the new first time in thirty five years X album on vinyl, but it won't be available. They won't ship it to me till September. They say. Oh fuck! Do you get to listen to it ahead of time? Yeah, I got a digital copy of it along with that purchase, and it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's yeah, it's, yeah. I haven't listened to it enough to say definitively right one way or the other, but it's it's definitely no ain't love grand. I can tell you that. Aww, <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite X album. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I guess my question would be, as someone who's who likes Voivod but only has very limited experience with them. Does this belong in, you know, should you, should this be part of the rotation and what you listen to when you want to hear Voivod? It depends on where you're coming from. If you're, if you're a, you know, a big Yes and Crimson fan, fuck yeah, this is great. Put this on. It's fine. I definitely heard Crimson in there. Yeah. Also, if you're a big prog rock snob, this is probably not weird enough for you and you'll be bummed on it. But, you know, you'll, you can, you can count to four multiple times during the playing of this record, which I know blows it for, (laughs) you know, prog nerds. Well, they did say at the time that they wanted to sound like Alice Cooper and not yes. Yeah. Oh man. This is very, this is very, what is that? Um, is that dress to kill the, the their second one? Their first one? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. second early like, Alice Cooper. Yeah. Like with Alice Cooper band, like they were the considered band. Uh, progressive by some people at the time when that early stuff came out, that shit is all great. And it has, yeah, there are, there are a lot of parallels to that. I, I can see, I can see these guys all having a, a, a an Alice Cooper tape stuck in the, in the tape player in their, in their shit box van, you know? <laughs> So so is so is Terry Brown the uh, the Bob Ezrin of uh, Canada? Then? Canada, maybe. Sure. <laughs> There's no vibra slap on this album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it cake is, stole all the vibra slaps. It is noticeably missing. Yeah, I miss that and a fiddle. If there was a fiddle on here, we would be complete. Yep. Right. Well, they got a harmonica. It's close. Get some Jerry Goodman in there, you know, or something. <laughs> if if you're a metalhead, stick stick to the first four or five. Like wrap it up with Nothing Face. If you're a real metalhead or real thrash guy, Nothing Face is probably already like pushing the limits of 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 we. You know, I I've, I've brought this up a bunch of times before, but a lot of my favorite music was has been um, suggested to me by my metalhead friends, who have shown me some vaguely metally type album. And usually just handed it to me and given it to me and said, 
hey, I tried to like this, but it's too weird. I think you'll like it. And they're almost always right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, like, I don't like this. You will. <laughs> that is your taste in a nutshell is too weird for metal. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think Nothing Face might have been one of those very records where somebody, you know, who's a, a diehard metalhead was just like, oh, man, I, I understand that this is badass, but I just it's too much for me. So here you go. Keep doing that, guys. That's uh, that's been great for me. <laughs> But yeah, if you gave this to a metalhead, they would probably be like, not not enough. You know, it's it's definitely not slow, but it's definitely not trying to set any, you know, land speed records. Yeah, I think this record is um, like towards that question, exactly like Logan said, it's going to depend on who you're talking to and what you're trying to explain to them. <laughs> but I think that uh, one of the reasons you're seeing, we're, we're seeing a resurgence with this record is because it's become one of those records, like it or not, that like, influenced people and so like heavy hitters now are starting to cite this record you know where when it yeah. came like you said like it was yeah it was too weird for prime time but now all these people who went on to be big names are like oh yeah that was a really important record to me like kind of like what happened with uh faith no more's angel dust not that that got a lot of bad reviews but when it first came out people were like what is this oh yeah yeah i do not understand i I see that i see that parallel yeah Yeah. and now like i'm starting to see people wearing faith no more t-shirts again and i'm like what (laughs) i mean one of my favorite bands that I, i you know mike you're a big mr bungle fan too right like and it's like they were unpopular in their time you know, there are way more Mr. Bungle fans now than there are when Mr. Bungle was a band, you know, <laughs> and it's still challenging, weird as hell music to listen to. So, I mean, to do something that's a departure from what you're known for and have it still be like noticeably weird decades later is is a pretty cool thing. Like, I don't think you do that by accident. Right. You know, and uh, choices were made on this album. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that will probably wrap it up for us. Um, so tell us, Mike, um, you're in several bands. Are they uh, doing anything currently during this unintentional hiatus? Um, how can we uh, check out your music if it exists? I'm still waiting to see if our early June shows are still happening. I feel <laughs> like it might. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> um, no, we're going to be... Uh... Yeah, so I play in Grief Ritual and Fathers, and the plan for both albums right now, or both bands right now, is to do is to record at least now that we all feel safe seeing each other and getting back in the studio and starting to write again. So, um, but yeah, that's literally it. Yeah. <laughs> so look them up online because that's the only place anything exists anymore. Is there anything else we can plug, much less want to plug? I just want to say thank you guys for having me on again. This is always a blast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Well, you are our first third-time guest. We enjoy having you. It was We wanted someone special for our big 5-0, so. Yeah, no, thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot. And, uh, yeah, what is what is it? 5-0 is, what's the? the it's the silver anise. Something like that. I don't know. I it's uh, not coriander. Mercury. Centigenarian or something. I can't remember. Yeah. But anyway. Um, well, it makes no difference, right? Indeed. <laughs> but we will ask that, you know, we've done 50 of these episodes, so, like, go into the podcasting application and, and give us a review or at least a rating, preferably a positive one, but, you know, even a negative one at this point, just letting us know you exist. You will find at least one topic you will hate, guaranteed. Oh, yeah. We've got plenty. Um, 
And if you have ideas for future episodes, you can always drop us an email at uh, detoursandoutliers at gmail.com. And until next week, stay safe, stay sane, wash your hands, watch out for nothing face, and um, we'll try and figure out who this artist is. As you may have guessed, this does conclude Season 2 of Detours and Outliers, the podcast. Stay tuned, don't turn off your computers, and keep your iPods warm.